How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 8 of Generation X-Lapse. We're officially uh, two-thirds of the way through after today's episode. How about that? Now, uh, I want to level with you guys here. If I sound a little grunty today, uh, there's... Not grumpy, grunty, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's a reason for that. And it's a stupid one. <laughs> you see, I threw my back out. And I did so in a very, very stupid way. Um, over the course of the past few weeks, I've been taking... Uh, daily boot camps, you know, uh, doing some bike riding, uh, taking classes, basically, doing some boxing, some, you know, bopping around, all that good stuff, uh, weightlifting, you know, weighted squats, all that stuff, and, um, well, it's kind of kicking my butt, but I, I'm still able to walk away every day, you know, I finish up, and I can go on with my day. Well, yesterday, after doing a, uh, uh, it was a boxing workout I did for about 45 minutes, I was able to walk away just fine, but then I went to the backyard to uh, pull the thermometer out of the pool to see how warm it, the water was, and I threw my back out, squatting down to pick up a uh, one-pound thermometer. So I've been kind of squirming around on every soft surface in the house over the past 24 hours, just trying to get by and trying to get comfortable. So yes, if I sound a little grunty or a little forced... We'll blame it on the injury here. Uh, not that uh, not that I have a whole lot to be grunty about, because we have a very fun issue to discuss today. Let's get right on in. This is Generation X, Volume 2, Number 8, January 2018, cover date. The second-to-last issue of Generation X, Volume 2, before we hit legacy numbering. Written by Christina Strain, with art by Emilk Arpina. Colors, Felipe Sobrairo, Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles, Edits, Robinson, Shan, Panizia, and Alonzo. Cover price, $4 on sale, November 8, 2017. Now, we open with our regular spread of roll call and cred. We got Jubilee, we got Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and iBoy. The story begins at Central Park Zoo where iBoy and Nature Girl are babysitting Shogo. And you know, I think it was Evan over on the main show who wrote in and remarked that Shogo seemed to be de-aged in current times here, like he seemed older in Generation X than he does nowadays in the uh, Krakoa era. And yeah, this is proof positive of that, because Shogo here is walking around, he's actually saying words. There's a band nearby named Peanut, and Shogo is saying Peanut. So there you go. 
So he's playing with this bear, like a real you know, bear. Uh, he, Trevor, and Lynn are in an animal enclosure because, uh, well, one of them has antlers, so I guess it's okay. Trevor is nervous that Shogo might be eaten. Lynn suggests that if uh, Peanut, the bear, wanted to eat Shogo, he'd probably already be a pair of bloody stumps in booties. A zoo security guard kicks the kids out of the enclosure, and then the bears begin to stir. And Shogo, who was sitting in Peanut's lap, is thrown to the ground. He begins wailing, which I'd say is probably an appropriate response. Lynn feels like something is coming, and they gotta head back to the school right away. More on that as we work our way through. Speaking of which, we next pop over to the Xavier Institute of Citrus, Theme Park Engineering, and Poultry Science. It's the uh, counseling office, specifically, which I didn't even realize they had. Here, Bling is undergoing a session with... Husk. So, Husk is a therapist now? Okay, why not? Paige asks Roxy to talk, and does that cliche therapist thing, like the TV therapist thing, by responding to everything she says with, and how did that make you feel? Which, from my experience, most therapists in training are now being trained like to be a bit more creative than that, because how did that make you feel is, uh, well, it's a cliche. And, I mean, it totally is. And the uh, impression is that it leaves patients and clients uh, feeling like they're being blown off or ignored or kind of undervalued if you're just doing the TV response. Anyway, Roxy talks about how she feels about her recent run-in with M-Plate and really doesn't understand why she's even here talking to Paige anyway. Uh, She even calls Paige out on not being a real therapist, to which we learn that Paige is working on her PhD, so I guess credits and degrees from the Xavier School are transferable then? Whatever. Uh, Husk contends that uh, she's here to show Roxy that there can be life after the X-Men. Now Roxy ain't feeling it. She compares her powers to Emma Frost's secondary mutation, the diamond hard skin, and wonders why she's seemingly being pushed out the door. Paige talks about how one time she really tried hard to be an X-Man. And she also recalls how that kind of became her purpose rather than her passion. She boots Roxy out, telling her that they'll chat again next week. That's worth noting here, Paige did not appear to be taking any notes, like none, which is kind of weird for a PhD student in practice. Outside, Roxy asks Jono if they can leave... Not exactly sure where they're going. It's not like they drove across town or anything. I mean, the uh, little uh, caption said they're still at the Institute, didn't it? Hmm. Uh, Jubilee's also there, and she checks in with Paige. Uh, Paige is upset that nobody told her about the goings-on with Monet. Call Me Jube says that they didn't want to get in the way of Paige's brand-new shiny life. Scene shift to the subway where diminutive DOA, if you remember DOA, M-Plate's little buddy, drags a Morlock to an abandoned train car, and inside is M-Plate. Now, he refers to M-Plate as Sir, because if I'm getting this right, M-Plate and Monet are sort of kind of occupying the same body. I want to say this happened in that weird volume of Uncanny X-Men that read more like a volume of X-Force around the time of the Inhumans disaster. Monet and M-Plate slip in and out of control of the body, or are at least able to communicate separately. M-Plate seems to speak from that nasty vampire hand gimmick, and also the mouth, while Monet can sometimes just speak from the mouth. Anyway, 
DOA drops the body here. It's a Morlock body, and M-Play feeds. But he, she, it still hungers. A person can't live on Morlocks alone. They want a more powerful mutant to feed off of. But then there's an earthquake. Scenes shift back to the Institute, where Nathaniel is jealously leering at Quentin Quire as he sunbathes in a Speedo. He, Nate that is, wishes he could pull something off like that. Benji wanders up behind him, and they talk about Quentin a bit. Then, just as Benji is about to ask Nate on a date, there's an earthquake, and uh, poor Quentin spills his coquito. We jump over to the Museum of Natural History, where we see Jubilee, Chamber, and Bling. I, I know that caption said they were at the Xavier Institute's counseling office. Is this office off campus? If so, why? And where? I guess it's outside the uh, museum. From here we go over to Central Park, where the Earth is still quaking, and Lynn has a trio of vultures carrying her, Trevor, and Shogo into the sky. Now, she suggests that this isn't an earthquake at all. It's actually something digging its way underground toward the school. Now, anybody have any guesses? Well, of course, it's Krakoa. Well, Krakoa number three. Anyway, this is the grandson of the actual Krakoa. Now, he looks like a giant amalgamation of Swamp Thing and Killer Croc. Anyway, it's, you know, shuffled its way under the earth to get to the school because it missed Quentin Choir. Call Me Kitty rushes up and rips into Quentin for this mess, though, I mean, is it really his fault? I think people just like to yell at Quentin for, like, no reason. We jump back to the museum, where Jubilee, Chamber, and Bling rush inside to rescue exactly two civilians. Well, Jubilee and Jono do. Roxy kinda just stands there, which... Doesn't really make her point about being a good candidate for the X-Men, does it? Then, the place caves in. Jono is able to sidestep the sinkhole and rescues those exact two civilians. It's a mother and a young daughter, in case you were wondering. Not that it really matters. As Jono exits the building, the entire place falls into itself. So thanks a lot, Krakoa. Back at the Institute, Kitty continues to yell at Quentin for a bit, before realizing, hey, maybe we ought to do something about all the damage. And so she sends the all-star A-list team of Dust, Mercury, and Hijack, Hijack? Who the hell? To take care of this business. While telling Quentin, you know, the Omega-level mutant in front of her, to just stay here with Krakoa, because he's caused enough damage already. As if any of this was actually his fault to begin with, maybe I'm just missing something, or maybe I'm just starting to recognize a bit of my own inner choir. Who knows? Uh, Benji runs over to Kitty to ask if she's serious about benching all QQ. He reminds her that this is kind of an all-hands-on-deck situation, which is the sort of thing that would normally annoy me. You know, like having a kid trying to correct an adult and actually being right where the adult's wrong, but... In this situation, Kitty's kind of being a jerk. Now, if only the next issue opens with Quentin Quire pointing at us, proclaiming that Kitty Pride is a jerk, I'm all about it. Brew then runs up, because that's what this scene is, uh, people running up to their marks and delivering their line. He informs Kitty that when the Earth started to mambo, it unearthed an underground carn of Nagari demons. That's a shame, isn't it? Kitty then agrees that Benji was right, and let's not put that on a t-shirt, and uh, she's going to have to send the loser squad out. 
Blindfold steps to her mark to deliver her line, where she reveals that she sees Duke Jubilee in a dark place, and it's going to get darker. That brings us to the end of the issue. Back at the museum, Jubilee and Bling are under the rubble, with Jubes being impaled by a piece of rebar. Luckily, it missed her heart. And also luckily, she's a vampire, and the rebar doesn't look like it was made out of oak. So, I mean, I don't know what the trouble would have been anyway, but that's where we leave it. We are out of here. Okay, so maybe this wasn't quite as strong an issue as number seven turned out to be, but I still enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it far more than I expected to enjoy any single issue of Generation X Volume 2 because I thought this was going to be the kind of slog that I was preparing myself for as we read like the first two or three issues. But this is actually turning out to be a uh, worthwhile endeavor here. I'm not, uh, I'm not hating this, and in fact, I'm actually kind of liking it. Uh, let's see, where do we begin here? Um, I think my main takeaway from this issue is uh, the Roxy stuff here Because I feel like it's being handled, like, perfectly You know, in the perfect way here Because I made a joke uh, during the synopsis that Roxy kind of just stood around When, you know, the chips began to fall She just was, she froze, she freaked out All the while, she's trying to show that she is you know, an A-lister, you know? Like, she has the same second, same powers as Emma Frost's second mu- secondary mutation, which, in her mind, makes her, like, a top-flight candidate for a team of X-Men. Uh, you know, actions speak louder than words, and I guess louder than powers as well, because everything started to fall apart, and she freaked out. I don't see that as a weakness in the character. I see that as actually a strength in the story, because... I feel like it's kind of a zig instead of a zag here Because we have the therapy session here Where Bling is making her case And we've seen over the past several issues We're getting bits and pieces of Bling Trying to prove herself Just lashing out because she's on the loser squad, right? She's on the team that is there to learn how to live outside the X-Men We had Jono's team They're they're the X-Men in training Jubilee's team are the... uh, they're the ones who are getting the severance package, right? They're the ones who have powers or behaviors that don't really speak to the front line of X-Mendom, right? So, here we go. You know, the rubber, re- rubber meets the road here, and I think the easy way to handle this story would have had Roxy saving the day right away. It's like, hey, see, I can do it. I've proven that I can save lives. I've proven that I, I'm cool under pressure. Instead, we don't get that. Now, I'm sure her and Jubilee under the rubble, I'm sure that Roxy will have a bit of a coming out party there. She's going to hopefully, you know, do something worthwhile here or maybe learn an important lesson about uh, maybe not reading so much into labels here. Like, you don't need to be an X-Man to be a hero, right? Because I think she's probably going to wind up saving Jubilee. I could be mistaken, but that's... I mean, that's kind of the way this has got to be going. But to have her kind of just passively stand there as everything's falling around here, wanting to help but not knowing quite how to, I think that's an important, um, a a seminal moment in the character because uh, this is something she's going to have to accept. She's going to have to accept that maybe she's not quite as ready for primetime as she thought she was. And I, I think this is a very, very strong way to build this character up and, I mean, it's just unfortunate that we know 
from reading the current day Krakoa stuff that we're not going to see a whole heck of a lot of, bl- of bling, right? We see her for... Actually, it's her and Husk, her therapist, are part of the Fallen Angels for like three minutes, right? <laughs> so uh, we, uh, we, we don't talk much about Fallen Angels anymore, do we? Now, speaking of uh, Bling and her therapist here, the uh, the therapy scene probably could have been done a little bit better. Uh, felt very, very boilerplate. Uh, the whole, and how does that make you feel thing is like right out of the, you know, tippy top of the list of uh, therapy scene tropes, right? Sort of just what you come to expect from that sort of thing. And I mean, that's not an indictment on the quality or saying it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just... If you have a few years of counseling experience or counseling um, education, uh, seeing a scene like this might irritate you a little bit or just feel, I don't want to say lazy, but because uh, not everybody has the same you know experiences, but it's just one of those things, I guess. I don't know if Husk uh, getting a PhD is something that has happened in the interim. I would venture to say that uh, nobody's ever thought about this scene a second time. So we will, uh, I guess if we see her with a, with a degree on the wall at the sextant or wherever she's living in the uh, Krakowin era, we'll, uh, we'll know. But uh, as for now, I couldn't tell you one way or another. Not a whole lot to say about the opening scene at the zoo with Lynn and Trevor and uh, Shogo. Um, Lynn continues to be probably the worst character of the past you know, 10 to 15 years. She's just so uh, off-putting and just... Dismissive. I, I just really don't like the character at all. I don't know why any of these. Uh, I, I maybe I boys got the hot pants for. Her, I don't know, but I, I just I couldn't see anybody wanting to hang out with this person. She's just such an irritating personality. Um, I guess the last thing to talk about is probably uh, Kitty yelling at Quentin for. Uh, I, I I don't know. She just yelled at him. I, I guess everybody just likes to yell at Quentin. That's unfortunate. Um, I'm not sure where... I, I, they say here that Krakoa was living in the Atlantic. Krakoa Third, or whatever this thing is. But I, I don't remember how uh, how they separated. Because uh, uh, last I knew, the Krakoan grandson was the lawn at the Jean Grey school over in Wolverine and the X-Men. I don't know what happened in the interim between Wolverine and the X-Men and Generation X Volume 2. But I'm assuming that... Uh, there was a little bit of a split, <laughs> and somewhere along the way, uh, Krakoa Third has uh, grown an affinity toward Quentin Choir. Seeing them together was a cute little scene, only ruined by uh, Kitty coming in and just losing her mind, yelling at a guy for something that really isn't his fault. <laughs> and uh, when, he, when she should be yelling at an island, but I mean, how do you yell at a uh, sentient island, right? Uh, we still have the slow burn on the Nathaniel and Benji uh, will-they-won't-they they relationship, which is still nice to see. I'm glad that they're keeping that going. Um, this scene was uh, not quite as moving or as poignant as the one in issue 7, but uh, eh, they can't all be, and this was just fine here. We have Benji finally getting up the nerve and the guts to uh, to ask Nate on a date, and... The earth starts quaking, and uh, the superstitious among us might take that as a bad omen. You never know, but uh, I like that it's still going. And I guess the last thing to talk about is the return of Amilcar Arpina in the uh, artist chair. It's still definitely not my cup of tea as far as art's concerned, but uh, it's less offensive to me now than it was in the first couple issues. Those first few issues where I saw it, I... 
really did not care for it Where here, I really didn't even notice it So I guess, uh, damning with faint praise perhaps But, uh, I guess it's a step in the right direction in any event But, uh I think that's all I got to say about this issue. I'm um, delightfully surprised that uh, that it's really picking up the way it is here. I'm looking forward to more of it. And uh, when I started this little project, that's not something I ever thought I would say. But uh, if you agree or disagree, I would love to hear from you. Um, feel free to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. Uh, for blog posts and show notes, you can go over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also talk to us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. There's also an Instagram, 90s X-Men, with a... Well, maybe by the time this comes out, there'll be two pictures there, but uh, I wouldn't count on it. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic talking needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available anywhere you find sound and or noise. And if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, please feel free to uh, spread the word, share the show, maybe even leave a review if it's uh, not too much of an inconvenience. Uh, Anything that would help the show grow and uh, meet more eyes and ears would be uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing, and I would appreciate it ever so much. But I think that's where we'll leave it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing a little bit of your time with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Sucked out the feeling Where'd you go?